you come to a new place to speak, man, you just never quite know what you're going to get in terms of uh, what you're going to preach behind in terms of worship, and uh, that was fun. That was exciting. Why don't we give God a round of applause? I don't know if that's different for you or not. Um, wow, that's different for me up there. I'm not used to a balcony. That's kind of cool up there, so I got to look down and up today. That'd be great. But I really appreciate that. I really appreciate the opportunity um, to be here and to share with you. Like I said, um, Pastor Dave, he hasn't necessarily been like a, a friend because I haven't known him that well. But he's kind of been one of those guys that we in the association who are younger guys have known as that like, you know, senior statesman figure. And we'd go to the retreats and events and sit and listen. And Pastor Dave would be up there. And he's usually the guy that's singing. I don't know if he sings here much. But he's the guy that's leading the singing. And, and so it's good to, to get to know him and, and have opportunity uh, to know him. And so when he said, hey, will you, will you, you know, come up and fill the pulpit? I'm going to be doing something else. And at my church, uh, I work with one of my really good friends who's uh, uh, the other pastor there. And so some weeks he'll preach and other weeks I'll preach. And I had this week off and, and uh, Dave said, could you come up and fill the pulpit? And I thought, man, there are a few things that I love to do. One of those is spend time with my kids, obviously. One of those is to take this book and open this book and share Share God's word with God's people. So I thought that's, a, a, that's definitely a benefit. That's something that I love to do. I love to see new churches and what God's doing in different places. I didn't even know much about Ferndale. Yeah, I had to go on Wikipedia. What is Ferndale all about? <laughs> Wikipedia doesn't know much about Ferndale either. It's amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. You guys got to get on Wikipedia and show them something about Ferndale. But, so, so there was that piece of it. And then we got to spend some time with our best friends. And we thought, man, this is great. Great opportunity. So, and then someone said they'd take us out. Chet said he'd take us out for lunch. I thought, we're, we got to be in, man. We're game. Uh, so we're here and excited to be here. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4 this morning. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. At Puyallup Community Baptist Church, uh, right now, we are doing what's called the Journey to the Cross. And we're studying the Gospel of Mark. Uh, just some different scenes from the Gospel of Mark. And so I got the opportunity several weeks ago to preach this sermon and it was one that resonated with my own heart, resonated in my own soul, um, and with several people in our congregation. So I'm excited to share with you this morning some of, of what God has been saying to me uh, through this text and, and, and sharing with some of the members of our congregation some really great things. So this is that story, you know the story where Jesus calms the storm, right? No lie, right after I preached this sermon, I preached it on a Sunday, on Monday morning I came into my office and somebody from my church had left on my desk this, this picture. Okay. We're talking like about that big, that hang over your mantle kind of picture from about 1980 something of Jesus calming the storm. And there's the boat and there's the disciples and they're like, like you know, in fear. And here's Jesus and the st storm's going away. I thought that's really awesome. But my office is so small, I didn't have anywhere to put it. So it's still sitting on the, uh, on the floor there. But this is one of those texts that's really familiar to many of us, right? You've heard it. Maybe they're even going to teach it in Sunday school today down there with the kids with the flannel graph board and get that out and show Jesus calming the storm. It's a very fam familiar text. When we come to a familiar text, it's easy to miss some important things that God has for us because we kind of already know what's going on. Well, I've heard this. I've seen this. I know what's going on. Jesus is going to calm the storm, and that's going to be great. Maybe Jesus will even calm a storm or two in my life. There's so much more for us in this text this morning than that. So I want to kind of reorient us to that a little bit and say, let, let's dig in and let's think about it. Have you ever been freaked out? I'm talking like just really, totally, completely freaked out, especially by something in nature. Has that ever happened to you? Okay. I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in the state of Delaware. Does anybody know where the state of Delaware is? Okay, like four of you. Good. Okay, it's, it's the state of Delaware smaller than Ferndale. So just, yeah. 
So I grew up on the ocean. We did a lot of stuff on the ocean, a lot of fishing, a lot of surfing kind of things, just a lot of different things related to the ocean. And they have something that happens on the East Coast that doesn't happen here. They're called hurricanes. You've heard of them? Okay. And so there, there have been about three different times in my life, literally, honestly, truly, that I thought that I was going to die related to water. Okay? One of them had to do with a fishing boat that was way too small and an ocean that was way too big. If it says bay liner on the boat, it's supposed to go in the bay. It's not supposed to go in the ocean because ocean liners are made for the ocean and bay liners are made for the bay. So the first time had to do with a pastor and myself and my dad and trying to fish and a bay liner in the ocean. That wasn't good. Another time was when I was in college and we were on a canoeing trip and we were on this huge lake and we're paddling and paddling and paddling and the waves came up and it was crazy. There were those two times, but the time that I remember most distinctly being just freaked out by nature and really thinking that I was going to die related to a storm was one day I came home from college and I think it was like summer break and I came home from college. We went to the place that was our normal like surfing and bodyboarding spot on, on, the, uh, on the beach. And we go down there, and, and a hurricane had literally just come through, okay? So the day before, a hurricane, that's really heavy wind, really heavy seas, had just come through uh, the coast. And we're standing, I remember standing over, this, over top of this, on this little bluff, looking out and thinking, oh, those waves are incredible. That's amazing. I got to go get in that. And I was with my dad, and I was with my brother, and so the problem was is that I didn't have like a surfboard. I didn't have, a, we did a lot of bodyboarding, which is surfing without standing up on a smaller board. I didn't have any of that. And I remember that back at my, at my dad's house, my brother had his bodyboard. But my brother smaller, was smaller than me, so was his board. So I said, that's all right, it's no big deal, it's just a hurricane. We go, we get the board, we come back, my dad's hanging out on the beach, my brother's on the beach, and I'm like, I'm doing this. And I've got this piece of styrofoam that's about yay big, and I'm holding on to it, and the waves are coming, and they're crashing, and they're going crazy. And I jump out, and I start swimming out, and I start swimming out, and then I stop swimming, but I'm still going out. That's never good. If you're not swimming out, but you're going out, you might not have anything to do with the ocean, but you know right now that I'm in a bad place, Right? So I'm going out, and I realize I, I can't keep going out because out is like, I don't know, what is that? Europe, okay? So that's not going to be a good thing. We've got to figure out a way to get back in. And these waves are at this point coming and crashing. And then I realize, man, I'm way, way over my head. I'm caught in this current, and I'm trying to swim. And they always tell you, don't swim against the current, okay? So I'm trying to remember, and I realize I start to get really, really tired, and I'm getting really, really panicked. And I'm starting to freak out more and more and more. And I realize I'm, I'm just way in, literally and figuratively, I'm in way over my head. Um, and, and I remember it's kind of like a washing machine. And there's, the waves are coming this way and that way and the other way. And I'm just getting thrown all around. I'm hanging onto this board at this point for dear life. And I remember seeing this wave come up. And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking if I can get onto that, if I, can, if I can catch that wave, maybe push me toward shore. And this wave is coming, and I just remember this, I don't know, it was probably like three feet, but I, it, it looked huge to me, right? So here this thing comes, and I just start swimming as much as I can. Wave comes up, catches me, and I went under, around, down, through, and I'm just getting spun and beaten up and hitting the ground. And I'm, I think I'm, at this point, I literally, I thought, I, I, I'm dead. And I, I'm getting tossed around. The next thing I know, I get pushed out, and I, I'm on the beach. And I land, and I'm just, oh, man. And I'm, then I'm thinking there's another one probably coming behind me. So with everything I've got, I'm trying to pull myself away. And I just crawl and claw my way up to the beach. And then I'm laying there, and I'm like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. 
And I look over, and my dad is sitting on a lawn chair about 20 feet from me, and he's reading a book. <laughs> like, I really thought I was going to die. And he looks up, and he's like, you all right? Like, no, I'm not all right. I just thought I was going to literally going to die. What happened to me in that moment, and really in all three of those, those instances, but in that particular moment, is that I was in a situation where I was literally, and I was figuratively, I was, I was over my head. I was in something that I couldn't, can't, uh, couldn't handle, and I was in chaos. And you know what? There was absolutely nothing I could do about it. I was absolutely and completely out of control. And what I love about this text that we're going to study today is Jesus takes his disciples, his inner circle, and he puts them on purpose in that very scenario. He puts them on purpose in that very situation where they're completely out of control, where there's completely not anything that they can do. Because don't we learn best when we're not in control? Don't we learn important things best when, when we are out of control? You know what I learned in that scenario? Don't go in the water after a hurricane, okay? And Jesus does that. When Jesus does that, he's doing it for a reason. He's teaching them something about his identity and about their fears. And that's what we're going to see today. The, the message is called, Jesus Hasn't Lost Control. And for each and every one of us in something in our life, and maybe you're here today and you, like me, are new here to this church, but maybe you're new to, to the Lord. Maybe you're new to Jesus. Maybe somebody invited you here and, and you just sh showed up or you were walking down the street and you saw this big, cool building. It is kind of interesting, by the way, when you come down the main road there that there's this, like, this big building right there. It's kind of, that's free, but it was kind of cool for me. It's the first time. It's my first view, right? You got a cool church building. Maybe you came in and you saw that, and this is your first experience with church. I want you to learn something about Jesus today. I want you to learn something about who Jesus is. Okay? I want you to learn about his identity. So let's look at Mark. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. And verses 35 through 37 kind of set the scene for us. It's, it's like when you're reading a story and you've got to build up a little bit. right? You've got to kind of get an idea. You've got to kind of set the scene. And they kind of set the scene. It says, on that day, it's the same day that Mark has been talking about earlier. On that day, when evening had come... He said to them, let's go across to the other side. By the way, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you're wondering, this is the ESV, English Standard Version. He says, uh, let us go across to the other side. He's talking about the Sea of Galilee. Verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Let's stop there and set the scene for just a minute. So when Mark wrote the book of Mark, he was writing what he heard Peter tell him. Okay? And so, so you remember the apostle, the disciple, Peter was a fisherman and Peter was one of Jesus' first disciples who happened to be in this boat at this time. So the really cool thing that we're reading right now is a firsthand eyewitness account of this storm, of this incredible storm. And we're, we're reading an eyewitness account from a fisherman. Okay? So the fisherman had been in a few storms. The, the boy who was, was on the bodyboard that was too small for him in the hurricane had been in the water before. That's part of what made that so freaky is because it wasn't my first time there. This is Peter that we get to hear, and Peter tells us what happened. And he gets pretty graphic about it. Okay? One of the things is when you think about a boat and you think about a sea, what do you think? Because it says they were in a boat. Now, he doesn't say they were in a ship, right? When you think about a boat, remember I said bay liners belong in the 
Bay, okay? This boat, they found one in like around 1986 on the Sea of Galilee. Some archaeologists or maybe people digging in the mud found one of these, the hull of one of these boats. We're talking about maybe 26 or so feet long and maybe about seven, seven and a half feet wide. It's open. If you get the picture, it's, it's open. Everybody sits around like a rowboat and it's got a sail on it, okay? Bay liners are usually powered by, you know, one or two 250-horsepower Evinrude motors, which are pretty strong. This was powered by 12 disciple power oars, okay? And so they had the dudes with the oars, and they're, they're in the boat. If that starts to draw a picture for us, we start to say, okay, so we're in a big body of water. There's a storm that a fisherman sees, and it scares the fishermen, so they're in a small boat. And then we talk about the lake. The lake is the Sea of Galilee. Has anyone been to the Sea of Galilee? Anyone here? Okay, cool. Been to the Sea of Galilee, you realize that, that the Sea of Galilee is really about, it's more like a lake, okay? So the, the name for it is, is really, it's a lake. It's about 13 miles long or so, not real wide. And it sits about 600 feet below sea level. Well, well, big deal. It's surrounded by mountains and hills. Okay, what's the point? Warm water comes off of the Sea of Galilee, warm air comes off of the Sea of Galilee, and cold air comes down out of the mountains and shoots through these, uh, through the hills, kind of like a big tunnel, and hits each other, and then what happens? I'm no meteorologist, but what happens? So if you have your phone and you're young today and you need to do this, I, I totally get this. You can actually look up on YouTube, take your phone out, look up on YouTube, storms on the Sea of Galilee. I don't think they have any footage from back then, okay? But you can actually see where people have been there and just kind of standing and hanging out and they're taking footage and these, these storms just pop up. And actually the fishermen that still fish the Sea of Galilee, they, in Aramaic they call these the sharks, these squalls that come up, they call them the sharks because they're so intense and furious and they just happen out of nowhere. That's the scene that's being set here, right? And that's the storm. It was a, it was a furious squall. Here's one of the interesting things as well is when you think about the sea, in, in our mindset, it's a place where fish come from, right? For those people, it was where fish came from. But to the ancient Jewish mindset, really, really important here because this is ancient Jews that are experiencing this first First off, to the ancient Jewish mindset, the, the sea was a place of chaos and evil. That's where chaos and evil came from. You can go all the way back to Genesis and talk about some of that. But that, that's, where this, that's what the sea was, was the realm of chaos and evil. So that's where God did battle with evil in their mindset. Okay? And so what we are going to begin to see, and especially in some of the language that's used here, is there's so much going on in this text that's so, much, that's so far beyond just a storm and some fishermen. Is that this is a place where God is doing battle. Where God is doing battle with evil. So then in verse 38, he continues on and just says this. So we've got this, we've got this storm that's going. Small boat. There are 12, 13 guys in the boat probably at this time. In verse 38, it says this. But he, that's Jesus, he was in the stern asleep on a cushion and they woke him and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing okay i don't know how well you sleep through things but if fishermen are freaking out about a storm in a small boat on a sea and you're asleep you're either really 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 tired or you know that something else is going on here correct 
One of the things that we learn about Jesus here is his humanity. If you read the earlier accounts in Mark leading up to this, you realize that Jesus is, is doing a lot of work. He's doing a lot of ministry. And folks, Jesus got tired. Do you ever get tired? Do you ever get weary? Do you ever get weary doing good things? Yes? No, we never get tired. We're from Ferndale. Let's go. Do you ever get tired? We from Puyallup with three kids, man, we get tired, okay? And it's a comfort to know that, you know what, Jesus got tired as well. And that Jesus spent time sleeping as well. And that's right there in the text, but there's so much there. It says, he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him. I have a tendency to say that there are no wasted words in scripture. There are no wasted words in scripture. And most of the time when I'm reading this, I go right on by that they woke him. Does it strike anyone as strange that the fishermen woke up the carpenter to help them in the storm on the sea with the boat? Okay. That would be like my friend, my friend Matt back there. I was thinking about that this morning. My friend Matt back there uh, works helping people to build homes. Okay. That's his job. You, if you want a new home, you go to Matt and he helps you build that new home. And I don't know if he knows how to hold a hammer or not, but he knows how to push the right keys on the computer. Okay. If Matt got totally slammed at work and just so many things were going on that he just needed some help, guess who the first person he's not going to call? The dude that has no idea how to hold a hammer, how to push the keys, how to use the software. Matt's not going to call me up and say, hey, you know what, man? I am just totally swamped at work. Can you come help me? Why did the fisherman wake up the carpenter? I just have never been able to figure that out. Why did the fisherman wake up the carpenter? Since he was asleep in the boat on a cushion and they woke him. Do you know why they woke him up? Because they knew that he could do something, but he wasn't. These men had been with Jesus for a long time. These men had been with Jesus while he had been doing his ministry. This isn't their first occasion with him. They had spent time watching him heal people, watching him provide for people, watching him do things. And I need you to hear that this is where this starts to get very personal for us. Because they knew that Jesus could do something, but Jesus wasn't acting. How do you act when your worldview, what you believe about Jesus and your experience don't match up? Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever been in that place where you, I believe that God is good, but I also see that diagnosis of cancer, and I don't see how those two things match up. I believe that Jesus is loving, but I see a spouse who's not very loving, and those things just don't seem to match up. That's what those men were going through in that moment, in that boat. And what we need to see is just how very personal this suddenly becomes when these men try to wake him up. And they're saying, we know that you can do it. If he was just a carpenter, let the dude sleep. We're fishermen. We got this. But if he's more than just a carpenter, we need to wake him up because we know that he can do something and he just doesn't seem to be acting. This is where it gets real. Look at the next words. They woke him up and they said, teacher. Teacher, do you not, what? Do you not care? Teacher, do you not care? Do you know what they did in that moment? They mistook his silence for his absence. They mistook his silence for his absence. Because Jesus was there, he knew, he cared, he had it under control. They mistook his silence for his absence. And here's what I firmly believe about, about the way that God works in our lives. 
is that sometimes we mistake his silence for his absence. And in those moments of silence, those are, those are will you trust me moments. Those are moments where Jesus is asking us, will you trust me? Sometimes that's the silence. Have you ever experienced silence from the Savior? Have you ever prayed a prayer and you didn't get the answer that you wanted right when you wanted it? Have you ever experienced that? Has it ever seemed that God just didn't care? Because for these men, they say, do you not care? And when they ask that question, they push a button that each of us know and understand. No matter where our relationship with the Lord is, each of us have experienced that, haven't we? We've each experienced that situation where we're wondering, does God really care what's going on in my life? You see, teacher, do you not care? It's also interesting who does this to Jesus? Remember, fast forward, just maybe not too long from, from this instance, go to the end of the book of Mark, or really at the end of any Gospels. These disciples are rebuking Jesus for falling asleep at their hour of greatest terror. They're freaked out. The disciples are rebuking Jesus for falling asleep on them in their hour of greatest terror. What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? In his hour of greatest terror, who falls asleep on him? The same guys who were rebuking him then for falling asleep. Wait a minute. How does that work? And in their moment of greatest terror, they didn't know if, if Jesus cared. And sometimes for us, in our moments of greatest terror, and our moments of greatest weakness, when, when our worldview, what we believe and we say we believe about God, and what we experience with our lives and our circumstances, when those things don't match up, that's our moment. That's our storm moment. That's the moment that these men are going through. Watch the response. Oh, Jesus, this is good. Verse 39. And he awoke. Okay, good. He's awake now. We're going to see something happen. What's it going to be? It's probably going to be cool because we've seen him do other stuff. And we're in the boat. And we're still freaked out. And, and we've got the buckets. I don't know what they bailed with back then. But we're bailing. We're trying. What's he going to do? And he awoke. And he just stood up and snapped his finger. And it all went away. He, he woke up. And he just went, shh. And it all got quiet. No, 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 no. Remember, there are no wasted words in Scripture. He awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Why is Jesus talking to the sea? It's kind of weird. Jesus, have you gone schizo? You're talking to inanimate objects here. Turn back a couple pages. If you have an analog Bible, you're at an advantage right now. We're going to go to Mark chapter 1, and all you have to do is what I just did, flip over. If you're using one of those new digital Bibles... Oh, bad times. You've got to swipe like 18 times to get back to chapter 1. Uh-huh. See? That's an ongoing debate at my church, by the way, because I use the real Bible, and, and Pastor Lauren, he uses the digital Bible, and we're always going back and forth. But anyway. All right, there we go. Woo! This is a Baptist church. Are you allowed to say that? Oh, man. Mark 1.25 says this. Mark 1, 25, Jesus is healing a man with an unclean spirit. If you remember that, he's casting a demon out. He says this, but, re but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Jesus uses the same terminology to speak to a demon that he does to the sea. Do you think anything's going on there? 
You see those same words, they're the same Greek words. You can look them up. My friend Matt will help you later because he knows Greek. If you need to, I can pull out my phone and help you with it as well. But they're the same words that are there that says, when he says to the sea, in that verse, verse 39, peace, be still, he rebuked the wind and said, peace, be still. That's the same way that he spoke to those demons. Do you think anything was going on there? You see, this storm was a threatening force. This storm was a threatening force, and Jesus subdues it with his authoritative word. It was a threatening force, and, and, and this storm was, was natural. Maybe there was some supernatural going on behind it, but this storm was, was something that was there that was threatening them, a threatening force. What are the threatening forces in, in your life? What are the threatening forces in your world? What are the things in your life that even right now would maybe cause you to doubt your faith? What are some of the things right now that you would be afraid to share in this room from that microphone because people might wonder whether or not you're a Christian, but deep down in your heart and deep down in your soul, you know that they're there. Because folks, you have them, I have them, we all have those moments. Those threatening forces come into our lives and they threaten what we believe and they threaten and our experience doesn't match up with our worldview. And the question then becomes very much the same as the disciples' question, does it not? Our question quickly becomes, do you not care? What I love about this is that this story is as much about who Jesus is as what Jesus did. And we've got to get that because the Bible is about who Jesus is. And what I love about this story is that this, this story is as much about who Jesus is and what he's capable of doing. It's just, not just about the fact that he stood up and calmed the sea and, and, and then that was that and they paddled along and they did their thing. It's as much about what Jesus is capable of, what Jesus can do, what Jesus is doing as just, and, and who he is and, and what is behind what he does. You see, Jesus standing up and saying, peace be still. Guys, if I was in that boat, I didn't try that when I was on that bodyboard. You know what? I would have just drowned because I would have swallowed too much water and that would have been it. Okay? When Jesus stands up, there's authority behind what he says because of who he is. We've got to be able to start to rest and rely on that. Look at verse 40. Verse 40, it says this. After Jesus rebukes the wind and the sea and there was a great calm and everything's all good. And that's the picture that I have, you know, that I said before that I've got that, that someone gave to me. It's the, it's the great calm right after the storm. And verse 40, he said to them, he said this question that, that you read it and you're like, yeah, you guys, why are you so afraid? Right? We, we read that question. He said to them, why are you so afraid? I don't know, because I'm in a boat that's being overrun with water, and I'm a fisherman, and I've never seen anything like this before. Maybe that's why I'm afraid. We rebuke the disciples, man. Those of us who are good at church, okay, we've been at church for a long time, and when we're, we get good at church, we rebuke the disciples. Those guys had such little faith. I can't believe it. Jesus was in the boat, and I can't. Yeah, Jesus, you're right, man. You get them, right? How can you guys be so afraid? What? If I'm in that boat, I'm freaked out. I'm holding on to Jesus. He won't die, so if I hold on, neither will I, right? I'm totally freaked out. How can Jesus ask them this question? How, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus doesn't say, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? 
that storm can't hurt you. You can ride this out. You're strong enough. You're fishermen. It'll be all good. Just hang on to the oars a little tighter and row a little stronger and everything will be great. What happens here is that Jesus answers their circumstance with a heart question. Jesus asks them a heart question. You see, it's easy to have courage when everything's calm, isn't it? It's easy to have courage when everything's calm. It's easy for these men to have courage when everything's calm, but you know what? It's easy for me to have courage when everything's calm. It's easy for me to have courage and stand here in the pulpit and, and preach and, and, and get after it and love Jesus and do all those things when everything's calm. But what about when the sickness comes? What about when the fighting comes? What about when the job loss comes? What about when the economy tanks? What about when? And what he does here is he drives right at their hearts. This question isn't about their circumstances, it's about their hearts. And what Jesus does is he moves quickly from a circumstance that was going on in their lives to a condition that was going on in their hearts. And that's where it hits home for us. This wasn't about how big the storm was, this was about how big their faith was and how real their faith was. And what I love is that Jesus begins to ask questions of the heart. Because what does Jesus care most about, folks, for you and for me? Does he care most about our circumstances or most about our heart? Because our faith is shown through our, our heart. And our faith comes out of our heart. And so the circumstances come from outside. But what's going on in our heart then meets those circumstances. And that's what, how faith works. And when Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Man, he's not asking them, guys, why are you, you like crying and whining and fussing? He's saying, what's going on deep, deep, deep down inside your hearts? Are you getting this yet? And that's the same question Jesus is asking each one of us. What's going on inside your heart? Man, maybe you're here today for the first time again, and you're hearing about Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you've been in church a lot, and you've heard a lot of Jesus, but you haven't really known what to do with him. And Jesus is asking you that question as well. What's going on inside your heart? Because the gospel is not about what's going on outside. I love the music that happened up here today. Love it. But you know what? Jesus doesn't look down and say, man, you're singing really well. You can, you can be a Christian. You over here, man, I didn't see you singing real well. I was sitting behind you, so I don't know for sure. But, right? Jesus doesn't go that way. Jesus doesn't even say, you know what, man, you don't beat your wife, you don't yell at your kids, you don't drink alcohol, you don't do all these things, so I'll, you, you can come on in. No. Jesus is about what? Your heart. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'd love after the service to spend more time talking about what Jesus wants to do in your heart. I know the elders at this church would the same thing. Love to spend time talking with you because Jesus is into changing our hearts. And that's what he's doing here with this, these men. Jesus may not calm every storm in your life. Get this. Jesus may not calm every storm in your life, but faith in him can calm the storm in your heart. Faith in him can calm the storm in your heart. That's what he's about. That's what he's showing us here. And in verse 41, he shows it. He asked them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And in verse 41, it says, they were filled with great... Let's pause there again. They were filled with great... If you were filling in the blank of this story, what would they be filled with great what? Great amazement. Wow, that was really cool. I can't wait to put this on YouTube because that was amazing, Right? They're updating their Facebook status, like just saw Jesus calm a storm, hashtag super awesome, okay? They were filled with great, they were filled with great fear, 
Really? You guys, that's where you were a minute ago. You were filled with great fear, so we went from fear to fear. Great fear. What's going on there? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obeyed him? And I love about the fact that they are responding now to God more than responding to their circumstances. Because before they were freaked out about their circumstances, but now what, who are they responding to? They're starting to understand Jesus' identity and they're starting to respond to God. They're getting their eyes off of their circumstances and getting their eyes on their God. That's what faith does for each of us. It helps us to get our eyes off of our circumstances and get our eyes onto our God. And that's what happens here. And I also love that this is messy. You must get this, that this is messy. This is not these men, suddenly everything gets better. Suddenly everything's perfect. As a matter of fact, the storm goes away relatively quickly. But do the storms in the lives of these disciples ever go away? No, 11 out of 12, one of them goes, goes the other way. One of them, Judas, obviously um, betrays Jesus. Then all of the rest of them are exiled, are, are uh, martyred, minus one who is exiled and dies probably of exposure. The, the storms never go away from these gentlemen. So it's really easy for us to look at this and say, well, Jesus has calmed their storm, but he's not, not calming my storm. Jesus calmed their storm, like, boom, it was over. If he would do that for me, it'd be great. I would submit to you that maybe he didn't calm their storm. That's why I love how verse 41, how this story ends. They were filled with great fear. There's wonder, there's awe, there's respect. There's all of those things tied into that, but it's not easy. It's still messy. When they say, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We see them asking the question that makes faith possible. Who then is this? That's the question that makes faith possible. And it was, will their fear lead to faith? Will their fear lead to their faith? They were understanding Jesus. You, folks, when the threatening circumstances come into your life, each of those circumstances is an opportunity for you to ask that question, who then is this? And when those things that happen, that, that here are my, my worldview, here are my circumstances, and those things seem to collide and not fit together, each of those are those threatening times that allow us to ask that question. And as we close right now, I want to tell you something about Jesus that helps us with those. And that's this. It's three very simple things. I'm going to give them to you right in a row. Number one is that Jesus knows. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that has, has happened to you, whatever it is that is happening to you, whatever that thing is, whether it's something that's mental, whether it's something that's spiritual, whether it's something that's emotional, whether it's something that's physical, Jesus knows. There's not anything that Jesus doesn't know. The original hearers of Mark were undergoing intense persecution and they needed something to help them get their gaze off of their persecution and onto their God. Jesus knows. But you know what else is true about Jesus? Jesus knows, but Jesus cares. Write that down. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. The emphasis here in this story is on who he is. And for most of us, that's probably where the our question would be, if I'm going through hard circumstances, if Jesus knows, then why isn't he acting? Does Jesus care? 
Does he care about what I'm going through? Maybe you're in this room this morning and, and that's your question. That's a heavy question. I don't want to stand here and trivialize that question with platitudes. I'd love to walk through some of that with you, even this afternoon, right now. Pastor Dave will be back. Your elders are here. That is one of the vital questions in the Christian life is, does Jesus care? And then the third thing that I want you to know about Jesus is what the title of the sermon is, and that Jesus hasn't lost control. You see, Jesus knows, Jesus cares, and Jesus hasn't lost control. When he's asleep in the boat, the men think that he's lost control. They question not just his ability, but his identity. Jesus has not lost control. Whatever the thing is that you're going through, I need you to know that Jesus knows about it, that Jesus cares about it, and that he has not lost control. Okay? I'm going to pray for us. The team's going to come forward, and uh, we'll sing one more song. I'm going to respond to Jesus, respond to God and who he is. So let's stand together, and we will pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, that, that I can stand up here and open your word and, and, and share and preach your word and not my words is, is the most important thing because when the hard times come and when the threatening forces come, it's your word and it's your Holy Spirit and it's your power that we stand on. And God, I pray that as we are here today and we have heard your word, that we would respond to you. We would respond to your son, Jesus Christ, who knows and who cares and who hasn't lost control and, and God, I just pray that that would be real for each of us and that as we wrestle through some of the things that this has brought up, that that would be real to us. God, allow us to respond to you in a way that, that, that is worthy. And God, I just pray that if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would either come and talk to me or find someone to talk to so that we could share the hope of Jesus with them. In his name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.